Grace, mercy, and peace to you from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In the name of our triune God, my dear brothers and sisters in Christ. What does it mean to be prepared? For example, if I ask my catechism students to prepare for a test, I assume that they're going to go home and study the things they need to know so they're ready to take that test. Or for example, if we're going to make a big purchase in our life, a new car or a house, we're going to prepare ourselves. We're going to make sure we have enough money. We're going to research the item that we're looking at to make sure we're getting a good deal on it. Or think, too, about how we like to be prepared in the event of weather. For example, what I talked about in the children's devotion with tornadoes, or how we like to be prepared if we hear there's going to be a blizzard. Now, granted, on times in those instances, we can be over-prepared when we go to Walmart and buy every roll of toilet paper that we can find, and then we end up only getting two inches of snow. It's true, sometimes we can be over-prepared, but in general, we like to be able to plan ahead, to be prepared. And we're very good at preparing for things that we know are going to happen. We're not always so good at being prepared for things that we don't know about or being prepared for something that we know is going to happen, but it seems to take a long, long time for that thing to occur. It's hard to maintain that constant state of vigilance, to constantly be ready. It's easy to fall back into routines, to start missing details, to not be alert as we should be. This is the attitude of complacency that Jesus is warning about in our parable this morning. The church has been waiting for the return of Jesus for a very long time. It's been more than 2,000 years at this point that the church has been expectantly awaiting the return of our King. And as individual Christians, we can be tempted to think that because Jesus has not come for such a long time, well, he's probably not going to come today or tomorrow or the day after. That's not something I really need to concern myself about. But the truth is, Jesus could return at any time. He could return in the next five minutes, the next five hours, the next five years, or the next 500 years. We don't know when it's going to happen, but all the signs have been fulfilled. In the same way, on a more personal note, we do not know when our own personal last day will come. We don't know when the hour of our death will occur, and so we are warned to be ready, to be prepared so that we are not surprised by Jesus' return. You see, the story that Jesus tells us today, again, takes place during the last few days of Jesus' life. Jesus had been teaching and preaching in the temple courts, and now he and his disciples are leaving the temple. And as they're walking out, the disciples are looking at all the grand buildings and structures, all the improvements that King Herod the Great had made to the temple over the years. And Jesus tells his disciples, not to be too impressed by these buildings because they're not going to last. They will soon be destroyed. And the disciples, understandably, are curious to know when is this destruction going to happen. 
And so Jesus takes this opportunity to instruct his disciples on what the end of the world will be like, what the signs that will signify the end of the world will be, that there will be wars and rumors of war, that there will be famines and earthquakes, that there will be false prophets and persecutions, that all of these things will be signs pointing to the soon return of Christ. But Jesus also tells his disciples not to concern themselves overly much with trying to figure out exactly when the day or the hour of Christ's return will happen. Because Jesus says that God has not and will not reveal reveal that information to his people. And it's easy to understand why. If we knew exactly when the Lord was going to return, how would we live our lives? I think if we're honest with ourselves, we would probably use that to our advantage in not a good way. And so the Lord has hidden the day of Christ's return so that we, his people, will live in a constant state of readiness, of being prepared that the Lord could return at any moment. And Jesus decides to illustrate the importance of being prepared by telling his disciples this parable of the wise and foolish virgins. And Jesus sets up this story in the context of a Jewish wedding. And in a typical Jewish wedding, the groom would leave his home and would go to the house of his bride, and they would pick, he would pick her up, and then they would process through the towns, usually in the evening, with some of her friends holding lamps, guiding them in a festival procession to wherever the feast was going to be held. And so this is the context of this story. That the groom is going to go to the house of the bride and waiting for him are these ten young women with lamps to escort him. But something happens. The groom, for some reason, is delayed and he's delayed for a very long time. And so these young women, as they're waiting and the night drags on, fall asleep. Unfortunately, five of the young women were not prepared for this eventuality. They had not even considered that there might be a delay in the groom's coming, and so they have now run out of oil for their lamps. The other five were ready. They were ready for this possibility, and so they had brought extra oil with them. And the five foolish virgins now ask for some extra oil And the five wise have no extra oil to give them. I heard a modern example of this would be, consider if you had a flashlight out in the woods, and you know most flashlights need two batteries, and your other friend's flashlight is dead, and he asks you to give him one of the batteries. Well, neither one of your flashlights is going to work in that situation. That's what the situation is here. Those five virgins that were prepared simply don't have enough oil to light both their lamps and the ones of the ones who didn't bring any. And so they tell them, go see if you can find someone in the town that's awake that can sell you oil. And so the five foolish virgins go, but while they're gone, there's a shout in the night. The groom approaches. And so he comes, and the five that are ready greet him, and they go together into the wedding feast. And the door is shut. The five foolish virgins come, knock on the door, but at that point, it's too late. The door has been shut, and more than that, we hear those harsh 
words of judgment, I don't know you. Now in this parable, the groom is Jesus Christ. He is the Lord. And in the same way the groom in the story was delayed in his arrival to the wedding feast, Christ has taken a long time in returning on the last day to judge the living and the dead. The church has been waiting for that day for a very long time. And this is a warning, this story here, for us not to be complacent in our faith. Because you see, the wise and the foolish virgins, those are individual believers waiting for the arrival of their Lord. And just like he has taken a long time in coming, Jesus warns us to be ready for his eventual return. Because we all know how easy it is to become distracted with the cares, worries, and concerns of this life. How so often we are tempted to take our eyes off of that which is truly beneficial for our lives, the Word of God, and focus on other things. How we don't always faithfully attend worship the way we should. How we sometimes allow leisure pursuits, sports, sleep, or jobs, or family events interfere with our time coming to church. Or how we, at times, we know we should faithfully read God's word on our own, and yet we know how tempting it is as we sit there at night and think, I should really read my Bible tonight, but it's so much easier just to hit play next on the next episode of the show we're watching, and soon that Bible starts collecting dust on our nightstand, lying there neglected. Yes, dear friends, it is easy become complacent in our faith. We are so busy in our lives. We have so many things clamoring for our attention. This parable is a warning that we not neglect the one thing that is truly needful. Because if we neglect God's word in our lives, what takes its place? If we stop struggling against the sin and temptation, against those pet sins that in our life, what takes its place? What will the Lord find when he returns? Will he find faithful Christians waiting to greet him, or will he find those who are not ready for his return, who have allowed sin to take root in their hearts, and to crowd out the faith that they once have. And now that faith has been lost. And when Christ returns, it is too late to rekindle that flame of faith. The door has been shut. And Jesus speaks those terrible words of judgment. Amen, I tell you, I do not know you. This is the fate of all those who do not believe and trust in Jesus as as their Savior. And that is the eternity that awaits them, forever barred from the presence of God. Yes, dear friends, this parable is a harsh warning to us not to take our faith for granted. Because our Lord is coming again. 
And on the one hand, because we know how we have not always been faithful in our preparations, that idea of Jesus returning may fill us with fear and dread. But on the other hand, because we are Christians, because we have that faith of Christ in our hearts, Jesus returns fills us with joy and anticipation. Because, dear friends, the gospel light in this account is that we have been invited to that wedding feast. We are the invited guests that are awaiting the coming of the bridegroom. And that has been an invitation of pure grace. It is an invitation that has been given to us not because we have done anything to earn or deserve it, but it is an invitation that has been given to us by God's love that we have received through faith in Jesus Christ. And it's true. We may not always be faithful in our preparation. We have not always given God the priority in our lives, but we have one who has been faithful for us. As we look at the life of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we see his faithfulness on display again and again. We see his faithfulness as he kept God's law perfectly for us. We see his faithfulness as he resisted the temptations of Satan in the desert. We see his faithfulness on display in the Garden of Gethsemane as he willingly drank from the cup of suffering that God had prepared for him. And we see his faithfulness as he allowed himself to be humiliated, tortured, and crucified for the sins of the whole world. All this our Savior did because he loves us, because he wants us to be his own dear children, and so he willingly offered his life as a sacrifice to pay for the sins of the entire world. This is the joy and confidence we have. This is why we have received this invitation to the wedding feast of the Lamb. The blood of Christ has paid for all of our sins. And in a few moments, we will join together and get a foretaste of that great heavenly banquet that is awaiting for us as we come and join in fellowship with one another with drink, taking and eating body and blood, bread and wine. This is a picture of that great feast that is awaiting for us in heaven. Something I learned last year in one of my classes at the seminary that I found fascinating was the way that some old church construction pictured this unity, this foretaste of the heavenly banquet that we have. In many old churches, the communion rail would be a half circle at the front of the church. And the idea would be that as you came forward to commune with one another, you were to picture the other half of that circle as those who have already gone and are partaking of the heavenly banquet. The fellowship that all believers have with one another, both here in this world and with those who are already with our Lord and Savior, rejoicing at that great wedding feast of the Lamb. What an amazing invitation we have to attend the wedding feast, the victory feast of our Savior. Just think of the limited joy that we have in this life as we receive invitations to go to weddings of our friends and families or others that we know. How we joyfully prepare ourselves to go to those weddings. 
how we don't begrudge the bride and groom for asking us to do the things that a wedding guest would do. In the same way, we live our lives in preparation for the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We do the things that God asks of us out of gratitude to prepare ourselves for the return. The Apostle Paul described what those preparations looked like in our reading from 1 Thessalonians when he said, But you, brothers, are not in the dark, so that this day takes you by surprise like a thief. For you are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or the darkness. So then let us not sleep like everyone else, but rather let us remain alert and sober. To be sure, those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. These are the preparations that our Lord asks of us. And as his people, we want to be ready for his return to greet him when he comes again in glory. And we prepare ourselves by putting God and his word first in our lives by coming to church and strengthening and being strengthened with one another in that word of drinking deeply of that water of life that God has given to us. We grow in our faith. We live our lives struggling against the attacks of Satan and our own sinful natures, of remembering our baptism and daily drowning those sins that we struggle with. And we do this because it pleases God our Father in heaven. And we do this so that we can live as children of light. And dear friends, that is what we are. We have been bought by the blood of the Lamb. We have been given the invitation to the great wedding feast. And so we, as children of light, follow the commands of our Father and do his will because that is who we are. We do things that the world considers foolish, but we know our wise. We give up of our hard-earned time and come and join together in worship of our Lord. We teach our children the truths of God's word so that they can grow in their faith and knowledge of the Lord. We shine like lights in the darkness so that others can see the light of Christ living in us, so that we can share with them that light we have within us so that they too can stand ready to greet our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ when he comes again in glory. Amen.